up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless, the sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, whatever else might be running around inside of my head, but mostly role-playing games, because sometimes they just make you feel pretty. Dudes, this one is jam-packed with RPG goodness. Seriously, it's awesome. I got a couple session recaps. Uh, So at time of recording, I'm recapping last week's session of Curse of the Crimson Throne. Uh, And at time of recording, I'm going to recap tonight's finale to the Barbarians of Lemuria mini campaign that's been going on forever. (laughs) It's finally over. Then I want to get my I want to get y'all's opinion on a few things that have sort of come up in the Curse of the Crimson Throne games. I've been pondering about campaigns and stuff, characters, backstories. I got some questions. Uh, yeah, I want to see what y'all think. And then, and then, <laughs> we just have an amazing, amazing story from Taylor of Cleric Swear Ringmail. So. Seriously, stick around for that. But first, yeah, let's get in. I got some data. I collected some data from Twitter. uh, So you know it's completely valid. It's completely meaningful. There's no bias to it at all. But I ran a poll, uh, and I want to talk about the poll that I ran and the kind of surprising results I got. So let's get into that. Here's some completely non-scientific but fairly interesting information I got from a poll I ran on Twitter the other day. Uh, And the reason I say it's unscientific is because statistics are so easily manipulated. Uh, Yeah, so depending on who distributes the poll, how it's distributed... Uh, who takes it, how they take it, where they take it, all that stuff shapes the answers you get. So take this with a grain of salt. A grain of salt. <laughs> I asked Twitter, hey, people that are watching the Wheel of Time show, what do you think? And I broke down the responses. Uh, I gave four options on the poll. There was read the books, like the show, read the books, don't like the show, didn't read the books, like the show, didn't read the books, don't like the show. I got 72 responses, which is pretty good. I was hoping for 100, but 72 is pretty awesome. And what surprised me the most is the overwhelming majority. So about 87.5% of the 72 people who responded liked the show, whether they read the books or didn't read the books. 87% of 72 people are enjoying Wheel of Time right now. And that's awesome. That surprised the crap out of me. I didn't think it would be that bad. So to break it down a little deeper, uh, as far as read the books, like the show, that was 69.4%. The smallest percentage was people who read the books and don't like the show. They're sitting at 5.6% of the folks that responded. People who didn't read the books but are enjoying the show, they're in second place with 18.1%. And uh, yeah, the last category of didn't read the books, don't like the show, um, they're sitting in at 6.9%. Yeah, those folks rule. (laughs) No, but yeah, so they're at almost 7%. Um, And the one uh, written 
reply I got on this poll was from somebody who I'm assuming read the books and didn't like the show because they were talking about how disappointed they are that in the first episode, the show veers away so dramatically, drastically from the books, which it does. (laughs) That person is not wrong. Uh, The show is a completely different animal than the books. It's telling a different story. It's, it's talking about different themes. Um, You know, events happen that don't happen in the book events happen in the book clearly that don't happen in the show obviously because you can't it's too big right but yeah they're adding in events they're combining characters leaving out characters adding in other characters and it's i really enjoy it but it is a whole different experience from reading the books like yeah very very there are some lines that get said where you're like yep nope (laughs) This can't be. That's not how this shit works in the books. So you're telling a different story. And that's fine. It's interesting, though, that so many people are enjoying it. Because typically, if I start watching a show and I like it, it generally gets canceled. Like with Cowboy Bebop. I I, I really like that show, but it got axed. And the reason it got axed is because, yeah, there weren't very many people watching that, man. I, I heard some numbers. Um... So of, of everyone who started watching Cowboy Bebop, only 40% of those people watched all of it, watched the whole season. Uh, that's, that's crappy. Of, uh, in the first week, Cowboy Bebop had like 74 million watch hours, which is good, really good. But then in week two, that number fell off the table and dropped by like, I think like 60%. And so... Yeah, it wasn't meant to be. I don't know. We'll see what happens with Wheel of Time, though. Season 2 has already been greenlit. They're already filming it. There is, there is a new actor playing the role of Matt. And he was probably my favorite actor in the show. So, yeah, I don't know. That makes me a little nervous. But I don't know. I, I, I thought that was interesting. So I wanted to share. <laughs> it's sort of RPG related. But speaking of being related to RPGs, I've been pondering on two things. Two things related to my Pathfinder game. So let's get into that before we get into some session recaps and then a super fun story from Taylor of Claire's Square Ringmail. But let's ponder for a little bit, shall we? So here's a little interesting thing that's come up in my Pathfinder group. So as I mentioned uh, later on in this episode, we are getting near the end of the first book. Um, and because of some stuff that happened in the episode, I started looking at my backup character, Templeton, the rat folk alchemist, and I sort of re-fell in love with him. <laughs> I love that class. I love the alchemist class. I, I do think it is probably my favorite class in Pathfinder. I don't play it all that much. I played it before. It was one of the early classes I played when I came back. My first character was Seraph Stormborn, um, but the first character... I started from first level and played for a while. I don't remember his name anymore, uh, but he was an alchemist with a really cool backstory. Ooh, maybe we can get into that a little bit. Let's let's get into that right now. So I wrote a pretty in-depth backstory, as I want to do, as the DM asked us to do. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. Not only was... So I've mentioned this dungeon master before. He is probably the greatest dungeon master I ever had. 
Uh, I absolutely aspire to be as good of a DM as he was. I'd like to have a little bit better of a personality, <laughs> but he was a fantastic dungeon master. But so apparently he really liked my backstory and it became almost like a central part of this whole campaign. And that actually made me feel weird. I thought the campaign was too focused on my character in particular. Um, and yeah, it just made me feel kind of weird. So what, what do you all think about that? <laughs> That's an interesting one, right? Uh, when the story is too focused on your character and it feels weird. Anyway, <laughs> I guess I just wrote the most interesting backstory. It was cool. He was a recovering alcoholic. And when he was a drunk, he accidentally like tried to blow up his wife it was a whole mess right <laughs> there was politics involved assassination attempts a whole bunch of stuff and that just became the central hub i don't that's it i remember vague parts of it but anyway so yeah let me know what y'all think of that but the reason i started recording this in the first place the interesting thing that has come up is so i'm i i feel like templeton would be a better fit for the party I approached the dungeon master and was like, hey, we're almost to the end of the first book. After the end of the first book, I'm thinking that Skinner will take his share of the loot and retire to take care of his mom and this orphanage. What do you think about that? And then it sort of turned into this whole big conversation about having a talk with the group and all this stuff. So, yeah, it was pretty interesting. I'm, and I'm totally down to talk to the group about it. Absolutely. Uh, I don't want to do anything that's going to, you know, bum out the rest of the group. But at the same time, ultimately, it should be my decision, right? Um, she's worried about it giving an unfair advantage to switch characters. Uh, you know, JRDM is not at all familiar with troop play that whole idea that old school idea of playing multiple characters so yeah i could i could see it right where you think a player wants to bring in a different character to get some sort of advantage but that's not the case in this case like i just want i want to play a goddamn alchemist again <laughs> i really want to play my alchemist yeah i just i love skinner he's great but i want to play the alchemist so anyway what do you think of that how do you feel if a, and I, I, I think I know the answer. I think most of you that are listening don't care if a player changes their character, either because it doesn't matter. <laughs> like the, there, there's not really a story, right? It's just all discovering at the table and stuff. So who cares when a player when changes a character? That doesn't matter. Or because you can make it work in the story and you want all the players to be happy and stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just curious about those two things. One, what happens when a campaign becomes too focused on your character? And two, how do you feel as a DM when a player wants to change characters? All right. Now let me get into those session recaps. Well, maybe just one depends on when this episode comes out. We 
we had another session of our Pathfinder Curse of the Crimson Throne game last week. And yeah, it looks like we're finally in the final stages of the first book of the Adventure Path. So that's good. Because <laughs> like I said, you know, in previous episodes, it took us a little over a year to get through Rise of the Rune Lords. And it's taken us three months to get through this first book of Curse of the Crimson Throne. And that's just because of how many games we've been missing. It's not like there's more going on in this adventure or anything. So, yeah, it's been hard getting some momentum going. But we're in the first book. Uh, and, of course, the book has to end with a dungeon crawl. Because <laughs> Pathfinder likes to throw those in sort of out of nowhere. I don't know. I, I guess it fits, kind of. But basically our mission, uh, we found out at the end of last session, we had to uh, go rescue a body. So basically, the grandfather, this dude named Thousand Bones, comes strutting into uh, Cressidia Croft's guardhouse station. Remember, she's the captain of the guard of uh, Corvosa. And he basically says he's a chieftain of the Shawanti people, and they're sort of like a, you know, Native American analogy in the Pathfinder word. Analogy is not the word I'm looking for. I can't think of the word. Anyway, they're sort of like Native Americans, more or less, kind of. Uh, so he comes walking into Cressidia's office and says, hey, uh, during all this unrest in the city, my grandson was murdered and his body was stolen. And now my son is pissed and he's about to go to war if we don't get that body back. So somebody needs to get that body back. And that's our job. <laughs> so we got to go find us a body. You ever seen a dead body? And yeah, uh, Corvosa, the city, has this massive whole section of the city called the Gray District which is just basically a gigantic graveyard, you know, like a huge, huge, huge graveyard with thousands of bodies and everything. So we find some tracks, find a, one of the tombs, of course, has uh, some stairs leading down into darkness. And well, actually, it was a ramp. So, yeah. So we go down into darkness and begin the dungeon crawl. And I honestly thought we were all going to die. <laughs> Our group is so not set to deal with any sort of undead. I mean, the the basic forms of undead, zombies, skeleton, we'd be fine. But anything incorporeal or, you know, slightly nastier than a zombo, it would be tough sledding for us because we're all sort of basic. <laughs> We are all sort of basic, but we're, we're handling it. There's some skeleton and uh, an owlbear skeleton and boom, boom, boom. No sweat. No sweat. The final fight of the night, though, we're in this room exploring around looking for secret stuff. And these two giant skeletons, snakes with human heads. Uh, they come, boom, crashing out of the walls, and we start fighting them. We're like, okay, this is going to be no problem. Jay, our DM, goes, okay, well, this one over here, <laughs> the one that kind of nobody's really messing with, it does a full round action. It goes into its dance of death. 
And we're like, oh, shit, what's that? She's like, everyone make a will save. And this group has shit for will saves. We all fail. All four of us fail our will saves. Because, by the way, the dude that didn't show up last week, he was there this week. He made his apologies, so I think all is good. Uh, but we all four save our or fail our will saves, and she rolls some dice. Okay, you're all dazed for seven rounds. Wow, I thought right then we were all dead. So in Pathfinder, what dazed means is you can't take any actions. You don't lose any stats. You don't take any penalties to your armor class. You're still able to defend yourself, but you're you're just you're fascinated. You're enthralled, which I think those are both pathfinder conditions so but anyway you just can't take any actions for seven rounds you're not defenseless or anything so i was like oh shit so these things just start going at us and she just starts rolling so bad so so bad we got so lucky the rng the dice were in our favor uh penny the rogue also each time these monsters hit us not only are we dazed but then we have to make a fortitude save or become paralyzed on top of that so it's like even more dangerous but luckily skinner has a pretty solid fort save and every time he got the few times he got hit he managed to make his save but penny the cat folk rogue gets rocked uh gets paralyzed and then Here's the here's the thing. Here's the question for you, fellow dungeon masters. So, it's the monster's turn. Penny is right there next to it, adjacent to it. In Pathfinder and in many other games, there is an action one can take called the coup de gras. Uh, you have to declare it. It's not just any time you hit, but if you do a coup de gras on a helpless creature, say one who is paralyzed, it's it's really it's basically they die. Th- there's a chance that they could survive. There's some dice rolls and stuff, but it's very very unlikely that they will survive. And so instead of doing that, the monster just bit Penny, knocked her out, almost killed her anyway, but didn't and Penny ended up surviving. So what do you think? Because when I got, you know, when I, on the way home from the game in the car with one of the other players, I was talking about it. I was like, oh, man, Penny's lucky to be survive, to survive that uh, Jay forgot about coup de gras or didn't do a coup de gras. He's like, well, I don't think the monster would do a coup de gras. Yeah, you know, if it's an unintelligent monster, probably not. But the fact that these monsters were intelligent enough to do a thing called dance of death and fascinate us maybe. So then, (laughs) then I was talking to our DM about it a few days later and I was like, Oh man, Penny got so lucky that you didn't coup de gras right there. And she just writes back. Yes, I'm a benevolent God, (laughs) which I thought was pretty awesome. But yeah, what do you do there folks? Do you, do you coup de gras? Do you just say you're dead? Uh, I mean, maybe that would I do that? possibly possibly uh these are hateful evil i would say i don't know their stats but they seemed intelligent 
malevolent entities. I think they would try and kill, especially when we're all friggin' days for seven rounds. I can't believe we survived that fight. If it wasn't for shitty rolls on the Dungeon Master's part, it would have been a TBK for sure. But yeah, what do you think? When when you have a player down, but not out, do you, do you take the killing blow? To coin a Matt Coville phrase, do you does the Earth Elemental step on the hero's head to finish him off? Or do you kind of deprioritize that character and go fight other characters? other characters i don't know what do you do yeah so that was our uh that was our pathfinder session we are i think playing again this week so hopefully we'll be able to finish book one this week by then we should level up to fifth level which will be nice you know i was looking at my backup character templeton templeton the rat folk alchemist and man he would be more useful in this group (laughs) I love Skinner. I lo- I have a lot of fun playing Skinner, but he might be getting too old for this shit. Because <laughs> Templeton, yeah, it's Alchemist in Pathfinder. Is that my favorite class? Alchemist might be my favorite class in Pathfinder. I don't play them nearly enough. They The Alchemist class is just dope. They can do everything. Um, yeah, so that's it. Uh so yeah, for the rest of this week, I hopefully have another game of Curse of the Crimson Throne. And then this coming Thursday at time of release, it looks like, barring any unforeseen incidents, so one will come up, but it looks like we're actually going to finish our Barbarians of Lemuria mini-campaign. <laughs> the the four-episode, four-session mini-campaign that's been going on for, it's, it hasn't been a year yet. But it's been a long time because something keeps coming up. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, And I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that nothing happens between now and Thursday night. But yeah, we'll see. All right. But enough with all that. Enough with all that. Now we have to get to the important part. In my last episode, the Golden Rule re-revisited. I asked Taylor of Cleric's Wear Ringmail a question, a very, very important question. And that question was, why don't you wear Mama's shirt? (laughs) And Taylor answered. So let's do it. The curse has been lifted. We finally, finally finished the uh, Barbarians of Lemuria mini campaign that started low these many moons ago in a time of great wonder oh man yeah it's that's cool it's nice to finish stuff um we were short a player arlen wasn't there which was a bummer uh but we we sallied forth it was fun to play with eric again that was dope uh and yeah we explored this ancient ziggurat uh with the priest Pazuzu in tow, and who, who's surprised? Raise your hand out there if you're surprised that Pazuzu was a turncoat. <laughs> so yeah, we find the black grimoire, and then all hell breaks out. 
There are zombies, there are evil priests, there are creepy, crawly hands, which beat the shit out of our party. We were rolling so bad tonight. It was nuts. It was nuts. Like the whole table, well, the whole table minus Jason, because Jason has amazing dice luck. Don't let him trick you, folks. He rolls awesome. Anyway, those hands beat the crap out of us. We eventually triumphed. Um, Zamoran, the our, our sorcerer that we had on our side, he almost went down, but Harn rescued him. And yeah, it was it was a knockdown drag out fight. We ended up getting some loot. Uh, one of the main one of the bad guys' minions got away with the book. We couldn't track him down, so er, he's out there somewhere, and we will find him. But before that, we had a party up in th- the town. We made it back to the town, partied it up, spent all our loot, so we could start adventuring again. It was a good wrap up to the session. Or to the adventure. And yeah, that's that's cool. That's where those characters will live. Who knows? Maybe they'll get picked up again somewhere down the dark, distant road of the future. We don't know. We just do not know. But that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the tale of the Black Grimoire. Okay. Now... <laughs> I mentioned earlier a couple times that there's a really awesome story from Cleric's Wear Ringmail. It is not RPG related. Well, kind of, but a different kind. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into it, Taylor. Take it away, man. Well, let me give it just a little bit of setup. This... (laughs) this story from taylor so if you'll cast your minds back to um one of my previous episodes where taylor was leaving a message towards the end of the message one of his kids one of his little baby kids ran up to him and it was like here's your shirt (laughs) and taylor's like no that's mama's shirt uh and i it was hilarious (laughs) and the kid knew it was hilarious the kid was cracking up it just it made my day. It tickled me pink. So I I, I asked Taylor. I was like, "Why can't you wear Mama's shirt?" <laughs> I think you look pretty in Mama's shirt. And so, as the true champion that Taylor is, uh, he responded. <laughs> and he responded in just a boss boss way. So, okay, that's that's enough setup. Taylor, go. Why can't I wear Mama's shirt? Well, I am six foot three. I weigh over two hundred pounds, and my wife is probably five foot, and when she's not pregnant, is roughly half my size. So, needless to say, her shirt—it fits on my head. I guess I would have to cut some—I would have to cut some places out so I could see. But that's it. You are very right. The kid knows exactly what he's doing. That said, rewind 10-15 years, early marital bliss, before stress and responsibility had turned me into disillusioned and fat. My wife has a blue skirt with a a blue A-line skirt with a elastic waistband. I'm in the closet uh, getting dressed after a shower and I think to myself, 
man, that's super stretchy. I wonder if that would fit me. I was probably 180 pounds at the time. So I pop my feet in, shimmy it on up. It is the, I almost snapped it. It was a very, very tight fit. It is stretched to the utmost extreme, but I get it on. At this point, I have an idea. Also around that time, my wife used to sleep in a tie-dye men's medium t-shirt that she had. It was super soft. She loved it. Now I'm a men's large, or was at the time, but I think, eh, this is stretchy. I bet I could fit into this. So I steal her sleep shirt, squeeze into it. It's skin tight. I can count my chest hairs through the fabric, but it's on. To complete the set, I look around for her sandals. Now, I wear a men's 13 wide. There is no way in hell I'm going to fit into any of her real shoes. But on her flip-flops, I was able to stick my big toe through and then the next toe over through the other side. I guess the index toe, uh, the second little piggy. But I was able to get that on and I strut on my tippy toes. Uh, it's not, the shoes don't, not comfortable at all. But I strut on my tippy toes out of the bathroom and I walk into her wherever she was and I remember saying, hey, do I look pretty? She has never been angrier at me than she was on that day. Her eyes bugged out. It was very obvious she wanted to acknowledge how funny it was, but couldn't. Good times. Miss those memories. And I need to get on a diet. Peace out. And there's that double standard, right? If she would have walked out in that exact same outfit and asked you if she looked pretty and you didn't say yes, how, how would that have gone? <laughs> I get it. I've, I've actually done sort of similar stuff before and gotten the same response. You're stretching out my shit. You're stretching out my clothes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, Taylor, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you know, every now and then, every now and then, we just want to look pretty, right? So at the restaurant I used to work at for 10 years or whatever, about 10 years ago, uh, it was a place called the Old Town Ale House. And all the employees, most of the employees had been there forever, right? We've all been there almost a decade or some People work there even longer. And for the longest time, the owner was awesome. And every 4th of July, he would take us to his family's cabin out on the shore uh, for the weekend. And we would just party, party super hard, buy a ton of booze, a ton of food, and just rage. And so one year leading up to it, uh, we were listening, the kitchen dudes we were listening to a bunch of Billy Ocean at the time. Uh, and when the 4th of July party came along, one of my fellow cooks, this dude named Porkchop, decided that it would be awesome if we had a pink and teal themed 4th of July party. So everyone was like, yep, that sounds amazing. A bunch of the crew went to local Goodwills and Salvation Armies and bought two huge, like, 30 gallon trash bags just full of pink and teal clothes anything pink and or teal or pink and teal they could find threw it in the bag you know spent maybe ten dollars on it and showed up day of the trip and just like boom all right everybody gear up 
not a, people looked amazing. If I could, I sh, I don't think I have that picture anymore. But if I did, I would definitely put it on here. But anyway, long story short, what what sung to me right then was this teal uh, skirt. A uh, long skirt with the elastic waistband, a, a lot like you were describing. Uh, this was a little bigger. It fit me really well. It was very flowy, and it was just you know it was a skirt. So from the waist to the to the ankles, basically, I could do the split super easily. I could kick people in the face really easily. It was awesome. I wore that shit all weekend, man. <laughs> it was super great. I absolutely loved it. Uh, but yeah, so. Thank you for sharing that, um, for just giving me that amazing image. I loved how you said you could count the chest hairs through the shirt. That's tight. That is tight. Yeah, hell yeah. All right, let's get let, let's get into some let's get into some more gaming stuff. I just had to share that story because that rules. Thank you so much, Taylor. That was amazing. But you're not done. You are not done yet. You got something else to say about the Golden Rule re-revisited? Nope, let's put the brakes on. We're actually not going to get into that in this episode. It's already too long. We'll get into the responses to Golden Rule re-revisited in another episode. <laughs> yeah, we. I think we've all had enough of that again for a second. Give it a break. It's just nice to be back, to have Anchor up and running again for me. So, yeah, we'll leave this episode here. Um, no no Pathfinder game this week. I do have, at time of recording, the final session of Barbarians of Lemuria is tomorrow. So, depending on when this episode goes out, you might have already heard the session recap for that. I don't know. <laughs> anyway... Anyway, I just want to thank Taylor for his an amazing, his amazing, amazing story, dude. That was awesome. Like, <laughs> that's just cool. I love, I, I love people who can just have fun like that. That's, you know, people that don't take themselves too seriously. That can just be like, this dress looks dope and I'm going to put this shirt on and some, these shoes and go see if my wife thinks I'm sexy. Perfect. That's awesome. Good good for you, dude. Um, I'm all on board with having fun. That rules, man. So thank you, Taylor, for that. Uh, and thank you, everybody, for listening. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. It's almost Christmas. So I hope everybody's cool. Um, Hanukkah is just over. Uh, to all my Jewish listeners, I hope you had a happy Hanukkah. Uh, all the other Yule is coming up, Kwanzaa, everything, man. I don't know them all, but I hope everybody has a fun winter holiday. <laughs> I'm a Christmas dude myself, so Merry Christmas. I imagine I'll be you'll be hearing from me again before that. Anyway, yeah, just be rad to one another. Have fun and do stuff you love. So until then, peace out.